day. If you're like us, maybe you're having a three-day work week. So really, this day is Wednesday. Yeah, right. Are you just... You just are informed it's Tuesday, and you go, "Oh, okay, okay thank you." But for- it's really Wednesday <laughs> wait, in the when? scheme of things. Right? Where? Just confusing How? everybody. Um, all right, we got to just start the show. We have a very notable uh, uh, fashion obituary. A life well lived, Pierre Cardin, has passed away at the age of ninety eight, and. Um, I guess I really didn't even know that he was still alive. And um, so I was like, what? You know, and anyway, but one of the things that he did is he was the first designer and he got lots of crap about it. Coco Chanel, all the designers turned up their nose. He got kicked out of some, you know, like a French couture. um, I forget what the association is because he was the first one to take his name and it was on towels Ooh. and luggage and perfume and and look at the brands now. Everybody does it. Everyone but does it. But he got lots and lots of uh, crap about uh, doing it at the time, and um, he had kind of an interesting career. So he was Italian by birth, and he was like from a big family, and mm-hmm. his family moved when he was small to France. But he uh, was apprenticed to a tailor in Vichy at the age of 17, specializing in women's suits. And when he moved to Paris, he designed the sets and the costumes for Beauty and the Beast uh, in 1947 in the production that they did. And he worked with Christian Dior in the House of Dior. And then he set up his own label in 1950. And he created what is considered the legendary bubble dress oh, in 1954. Gorgeous. And yet, like I said, he ruffled feathers in the fashion establishment because he designed a ready-to-wear, which is what you buy off the rack. That's yeah, what they yeah. call it, ready-to-wear, for the Parisian um, department store, Printemps. So there's Galleries Lafayette is the big one, and then Printemps is the other Big, you know, like a Dayton's Donaldson. Okay, you know, okay, yeah, yeah, or got Macy's, it. Something yeah, like yeah. that. So they were just horrified. Voila! How could you do How that? How dare you? And um, he just he just kind of did all the things. He first. did all of it, and he broke ground. He was the first uh, person to designer to hold a fashion square in Red Square in Moscow in 1991. Two hundred thousand people showed up, and. He was very much like the globalization. He recognized Japan as a market and he wanted his clothes to be worn by everyday people. He's quoted, my goal was the street, that my name and my creations are the street. Celebrities, princesses, that wasn't my cup of tea. I respected them. I dined with them, but I didn't see them in my dresses. So, wow, it was... um, sunglasses, you name it. He had a myriad of uh, licensing agreements and uh, he made more money than anybody else. Now his much used and franchise name, the Pierre Cardin brand eventually lost its luster. And when he put up his fashion label in 2011, it didn't sell. Oh, he bought it. But um, Anyway, a lot of people in the fashion world are, you know, just remembering him, designers that worked under him. and Yeah, it's been fun. I mean, with, again, many things I'm introduced to this world as from Lori. 
knowing who he is was one of them. And I, you know, during the last hour, I was looking up some of his stuff. His fashion was just gorgeous. Beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, and also, can we acknowledge that he was in the leggings before we were in the leggings? Yeah. He was very, very like he, he that was his aesthetic. He wanted to design for the the woman that's yeah. on the go and yes. in the street and all of that. And he um I guess he lived in some little town in the south of France and he just kept buying up buildings mm-hmm. and so people were kind of like, Oh, again, you know, he was ruffling yeah, feathers. Right? Because just angering. He was bu- buying them up. But anyway, um, what it a, was a global brand before anyone else had a global brand, brand or did any of it. And then he was he was allowed back into the um, the French, you know, established whatever it was called. Gosh, I can't think of it. But um, mm-hmm. he was allowed back in. But um, he he didn't even really care yeah. that he'd been booted out of it. And he also did the like the space age. Yeah, he did stuff. And it was yeah. like mod meet space age he, yeah he was he was the guy who introduced us to mod mm-hmm. as a fashion Gorgeous. so anyway so that uh if you are interested there's a lot of uh good obituaries out there and good fashion people remembering him um on twitter and instagram where we go we need to find somebody who has one of these dresses oh i know i bet you oh i'm i know for a fact well i remember when um Oh, who was it? Um, Halston mm-hmm. did a partnership with JCPenney's. And I remember I was so excited because you knew who Halston was yeah. because everybody wore Halston to Studio 54. Yeah. So it must have been like in the early 80s or whatever. And I had just like, like probably 60 or $50 and I got this jumpsuit oh. you know out of the jersey did that you, I wore to a wedding did you keep it do you still oh, have no, it no I didn't keep it but oh. there's a photo of, of me in it at a wedding and I just was like oh that was my Halston from JCPenney post that on your guys's Instagram you have to that sounds amazing oh my gosh but yeah that was he paved the way for all of that so and if you are thinking that, um, you know, 2020 has just absolutely sucked, mm-hmm. Holly has posted at least some pop culture moments that happened in 2020 that did bring us joy. So if you want to take a look at that, we've the got less, that posted for you. Less suckage helps. That's right. And also, we're going to be talking books uh, at 3.30. Um, Lori Herzl, who's the senior book editor for the Star Tribune is going to be with us. Oh, thank God, because I've been reading some bad books. I acquired a bunch of books because my mom, they sold their house, so she just gave me a bunch of books where she random whatever. And there was a reason I hadn't acquired these earlier. They're not great. And so I need some good books on my list. We also posted a list of the the books that um, the Star Tribune... um, picked out with their editors okay. some of the best books of okay. 2020 if you need some ideas yes. and of course we have our low j book club well yeah, yeah i'm a i'm a, i've got my fingers on the pulse of that that's yes. the only thing i have coming but yeah besides that All i'm right, listen, in the dark when we come back it's our story we can't get enough of it's the thing on our bingo card we did not see coming in 2020 we can't get enough of this story okay so the story that has just given us adrenaline between oh, christmas and new it. year's is the hilaria hillary baldwin's entire life is a fake and um 
I all I can think of is well, first of all, Alec Baldwin did a super cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs um, Instagram, an attack on the attackers. And it was awkward. It made me want, you know, that secondhand embarrassment. Oh my gosh. That's how I felt. I just want to say, stop, stop, stop. stop. And from all the evidence that we've seen before mm-hmm. we get into it, Hilaria grew up as a wealthy, privileged American woman in Boston. Yep. Her family took some vacations to Spain mm-hmm. when she was a kid. Yep. She took Spanish yep. and became good at it, like many people do. Then her parents retired from the work in Boston, moved to Spain for their retirement years. Yeah. And then at some point when she was around 19, she changed her name from Hillary to Hilaria and started experimenting with a Spanish accent. Mm-hmm. And Hilaria. Hilaria. <laughs> and, uh, and, and basically, you know, the... I mean, yesterday they changed her bio. I know. That she was not born in Mallorca, and they just left off where she was born and what her <laughs> heritage is. And But she faked a, a come-and-go thick Spanish accent and kind of built this whole persona. Absolutely. Around it. So uh, Alec Baldwin, you know, he kind of went crazy, and he said, we should consider the source. Yeah. About this. She's the source. That's the problem. So do you think he knew about it and just kind of was like, I like your kind of... I think that they have... They're perfect for each other. Well, yes. And also, I think that the lie is so concrete in their mind that it doesn't feel like a lie. It's well, it's her po- persona now. And that's well, and so to them, them, this isn't a lie. This is who she is. I guess so. And I mean, it is... Uh, she's been thirsty and trying to make a thing yeah. happen. And yeah. what she's... For all I can see is that she's like a baby-making machine. She's had five children in seven years. It's just like she is blessed that way if that's what she wants. She's been a thirst trap since day one. Day one. And And so this is, yeah, and you could just know that, like, she probably did an accent here and there and notice she got some special attention. Rocco has some uh, evidence for us, uh, courtesy of page six, about eight eight different times when Hilaria (laughs) Hillary Baldwin Baldwin's Leaned uh, accent it. was coming and going. Yeah. What are we listening we'll to see. first? Uh, we'll start with this one where not, she's doing a, sh- a chef's demo. Mm-hmm. Oh, and is she this seems the Today forget, Show? I'm not sure where it's from, mm-hmm. to be honest, but um, she seems to forget how to pronounce a certain food item. Okay. So we'll see how this sounds. We have very few ingredients. We have tomatoes. We have, um, how do you say, cucumber? Cucumbers. We have... Um, she forgets how to say cucumbers. That's on the Today Show. Oh. How she even got that cooking gig. Thank you, Alec Baldwin, oh. 30 Rock. How you say microphone. How do you say in English? Yeah, that how is, you say. We said yesterday, that is a classic. That is something that English is a second language. Totally. Someone will say. Absolutely. Like one of the things you learn in Spanish is, is you say, como se dice? Yeah. And then you say the word. Right. I mean, yeah. It's a helpful Praise to know. So what else? Now what are so we going to do? Uh, here's a couple clips from something I think called GAA or something um, where she's talking about her wedding and it's definitely a Spanish accent, okay. I'd say. You know, it feels different. It really feels different. But I didn't think it was going to be different, but it feels quite different. What's so. the thing that surprised you the most? Um, I think just the fact that it feels different. You know, I, we, we like to say husband and wife a lot. Yeah. I come, I come husband now. I say, husband, where are you? Yeah, that, that's... And he says, where's my wife? How's my wife doing? I was very happy, but she, she texted it to me, and I was just like, oh, my God, you can't do this. We, we you know, we signed something with, with People Magazine. You, you can't do this. 
So that's, I mean, that sounds pretty Spanish, right? Yeah, because she's rolling her R's. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. It is quite different. I yes. mean, husband and wife. Yes, okay, absolutely. Now here's one where she's sort of in and out. Like okay. a little bit of this, a little <laughs> bit of that. Like, how did it happen? Well, he took me out to Montauk. And he said that was as close as he could get to Spain, to my family, and to Rome, because we really like Rome as well. And um, he got down on his knee. And then I don't remember the rest because I started crying. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, you can hear yeah. a little yeah. bit of this. And then here is one where she, I think she's talking about how she stays in shape. And there's absolutely no Spanish accent. Okay. At all. Is it lots of work? It's not, it's not easy. I and mean, I think part of it is that I'm in shape before I have a baby. Yeah, yeah. And then I stay active when I'm pregnant. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'm not trying to stay thin. I'm just trying to keep my circulation going and stretching and keep my muscle tone up. And celebrities are having a lot of fun with the Hilaria Baldwin. Kathy Griffin wasted no time um, taking a couple of funny swipes at her. Also, um, how would I possibly know the English word for cucumber? Joe Z joked about the cucumber clip, sharing Mm -hmm. a cuke emoji and writing, well... Um, I didn't have that Hilaria Baldwin is a white girl from Boston who faked a Spanish accent in her background for 2020 this year, but five more days of 2020. Comedian Michelle Collins, she said, I don't think two people have ever deserved each other more than Alec and Hilaria Baldwin. I mean, <laughs> Hilaria, anyone who's on Hilaria's side exists on a different spiritual plane than me. Kim Richards and Kyle Richards got into it. People are tweeting the cucumber emoji and um and catfish host nev schulman said on this week's episode of catfish we help alec find alec baldwin find out if hilaria really is who she said she is <laughs> and what's funny is that there was a um 30 rock episode that may have predicted this little um situation because there was Emily Mortimer um, played, so his char- character, did you guys watch that show? Yes. 30 Rock, yes. Yeah, so Love funny. 30 Rock. So Jack Donahue, mm-hmm. his character was dating this British woman named Phoebe, played yeah, yeah. by Emily Mortimer. Yeah. And after Jack proposes, then Tina Fey's Liz Lemon says, finds out that Phoebe's faking her accent. Yeah. Does this sound familiar? This is in 2007, so this is like four years before he... Gets with hilarious. So clips from the episode ended up on TikTok. Of course. Of course. And with people just hilariously doing the storyline side by side. Um, You know, Tina Fey is a prophet. It's like Hillary watched the show and made her move. And anyway, um, it's a very... They're like, how did that show predict this? If anything, the writers manifested. So you're saying Alec knew. So... People are having a lot of fun. They're also digging up stuff from her in podcasts where she bragged basically that she's known about Zara before anyone else in the United States. Just like weird things to brag about. Yeah, I mean, it's a mind boggle. And the weirdest part, I don't know if this would have been a story if she didn't respond. No, it 100%. Never complain, never explain. This is what you do with all messy situations when i make it big you're gonna be my publicist and all you're gonna do is take away my phone because that's all you have to do right 
you just, she's made it worse. She then, made it way worse. Then Ireland got involved. Yeah. She made it worse. Yeah. And she's backed off and she's taking a break. Alec gets involved. Oh, and Alec just next. I mean, he is Ugh. the cherry on the crazy Sunday because watching him talk about it, oh my the gosh. aggressiveness, and then the way he says it as if we're dealing with a catastrophe where we've lost lives, he's like low voice and he's like, yeah. I hope everyone had a good holiday. Yeah, I know. Ours, Ours was like, not great. There were things that happened. It's like, oh my God, what are we talking about right now, Alex? I don't know how she finds so much time to do so much Insta post with five I children. I, I don't know. care if you do have household help. Um, Julia Young, she's a comedian and I follow her on Twitter. She wrote, Hilaria Baldwin needs to take this whole mess to the red table. Or as she would say it, the Mesa Roja. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if I she know. goes there, but I, I would know. tell her not to do Just it. Just calm down. It's like shades of that. Remember that Rachel Dolezal, the chick who was white and pretended oh, yeah. to be black, oh, including yeah. becoming the president of her chapter of the NAACP? It- it's how do you get this far? It's I, just a mind boggling. All I can say is I'm glad Madonna's bad English accent only a- lasted for like a year I after know. she and Guy Ritchie. I know. Don't don't study abroad is what we've learned. Oh boy, uh, Lori Herzl, uh, senior book editor for the Star Tribune, is joining us. Hi, Lori. Hey, how are you guys? We're good. We talked to you like clockwork in May and December. We love it. We That's do. We, get, we have to get our summer reading. and uh, <laughs> But, you know, I think for in December, we always like to talk to you about, um, you know, the many, many good books that came out mm-hmm. in 2020. And I don't know. I We posted a link to the Star Tribune the, that you guys put together your book list. But do you have mm-hmm. a hard time going? How do you go back and look at what? How do you keep track of what you've read? Oh, well, I'm not very organized. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad because we're no, not either. I keep a I keep a running list of all of the reviews that we have run throughout the year. Okay, but of course, I I have not read every single book that no. we review because nobody can read that fast. No, and then I have a personal list of books that I read, and then I always just stop adding to that. Like in August, I just forget. So yeah. that one is never very complete. Well, I like, but the- when we. I like the list yeah. that we that you gave us to link up because that I mean describe what that is covering. Yeah, that's our holiday list. It's kind of a mixture of recommendations for books you might want to give, but also sort of the uh, top ten books of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all recommendations. And then I I work with a lot of really really wonderful intelligent critics, and I ask ten of them to each submit their favorite book of the year. We don't call it best book because Mm -hmm. nobody's read every single book. You know, there might be better books, but so we've got that. It's called Critics' Choice. And and then we have like 12 novels that we recommend and 12 nonfiction and children's books and all that. It's it's a really fun thing to put together. We do it every every year. It's so great. And I so appreciate it. And that's posted on our LoJ page. Well, Lori, what was your favorite book of the year? Boy, you know, ah. <laughs> can, can I have one fiction and one nonfiction? Yes, yes. Do it that way. All right. And they both happen to be by local writers, but that is not why I chose them. So my favorite nonfiction book, you, I'm sure you've heard of, it's called Owls of the Eastern Ice, and it's by a Minneapolis guy named Jonathan Slatt. 
And it's, um, it came out of his, the work that he did for his, um, PhD at the U. And every year for five years, he went to far eastern Russia to track this very rare owl. And the book is, it's nature writing. It's adventure writing. You know, he almost dies several times. It's just fascinating. And it's, and he's a really, really good writer. You know, most scientists, you know, you might think would be kind of dry mm-hmm. or, scholarly, but he's, it's just a fascinating book. And and uh, it's it's published by, I think, Ferrer, Strauss, and Giroux, and they have had a lot of trouble keeping it in print because it's just been flying off the shelves, and it was one listed for the National Book Award, and it's a great book. What's it called again? It's called Owls of the Eastern Ice. Okay. I, I have and, seen this show up, uh, I think it was just in the week. Um, yeah. That yeah, they recommended been, this book and used a Star yeah. Tribune, um, you know, a review of it in the week. Oh, good. That was my review. Oh, okay. Um, I, I know you can get it. Moon Palace got it back in, in stock and the Museum of Russian Art, which is where he held his book launch virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has been hard to find because everyone is just buying it the minute it shows up on the shelves. It's a really good book. And plus, so we we saw that yeah. darling little owl that was trapped in the the rock of the mm. tree, you know. And people yes. are like, "Oh, owls yes. really are cool animals." So. Oh, the, oh. The, they are. But the owl that that Flat writes about, um, it's called Blakeson's fish owl, and it is huge. I mean, it's bigger than great horned owls here. It's it's he compares it to the size of a fire hydrant i mean it's a really really big bird all right so, and it's 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 just a really cool book it's oh. a it's an adventure story all think right. of it as an adventure story you've piqued so then, our interest mm-hmm. in that one now what was your favorite <laughs> fiction uh, that you read this year I, I think that my favorite fiction is and i'm not quite done with this book but it is also written by a guy who lives in minneapolis it's called sharks in the time of saviors and the author's name is Kawai Strong Washburn, and he is actually Hawaiian. And he moved here because I think his wife is from Stillwater. But it is set in Hawaii, and it's it's kind of a, it's a realistic novel with a lot of kind of mystical, magical things in it. It reminded me in some ways of Louise Erdrich, who, you know, she writes in her novels, often, you know, the ancestors kind of come back and mm-hmm. you can physically see them. And, and that sort of thing happens in this book as well. But it's, it's set in Hawaii and it's set in the Pacific Northwest. And it is spectacular writing. And again, this is his first book, just like with Slat, first books that are just coming out, you know, gangbusters. It's great. And this book was on uh, Barack Obama's list of his favorite books of the year. And it is now long listed for three pen awards, which is unheard of. There's never been a book long listed for three pen awards. And the long, the short list will be announced in February. So hopefully he will move up in the ranks. But it is a really good novel. Okay. It's about a family, a Hawaiian kind of working class family. And, and, um, one of the children gets rescued by sharks when he falls overboard and, then he develops these kind of magical healing powers. It's just really a wonderful book. Yeah, I have to read this book. And we try, you know, we were in touch with the author. And it was Mm -hmm. right when COVID happened and all the publishing houses closed down. And we couldn't get a copy of the book. And he's 
Yep. We just had a lot of snafus and we were just never able to have him on. But again, read the review. Did you do that review? No, no, you must not have. It must have been somebody else. But I was like, I have to read this book. It sounds wonderful. It is really, really wonderful. And, you know, the fact that it's now on this was on Obama's list and the Penn Long list gives you a really good hook to talk to him now. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'll reach out to him again because we were having the hardest time. I didn't Mm -hmm. realize he was a first time author. Yep. He's a first time author. It's just amazing. These books that are so so sophisticated and so well written that come from these people who, you know, it's their first book. It's 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 remarkable. Yeah. Do you think, Lori, do you ever have designs to write a book? Do you ever being a big huge book reader, <laughs> book editor, do you think, ah, oh, you know, maybe I'll write a book? Well, I have written a book, but um it it was published ten years ago. So it's it's old. But was you it know, fiction? I, I look, no, it was a memoir. It was published by the University of Minnesota Press. Okay. It's my memoir of, of being in journalism. It's called News to Me. But, oh. but so you know, you have I written a book, these, damn it. I, <laughs> <laughs> but, but do I want to write another one? I don't know because so many books come in, you know, and, and there's so many that are so good, mm-hmm. so remarkable and original. And, you know, we don't have room to review all of these really, really good books. And, so it just feels sort of like, I don't know, the world needs another book by me. You know, I mean, there's people out there who have much more interesting things to say. So I'm just going to sit back and, and read their books, I think, and, you know, get yeah. them in the paper as much as I can. Um, can I ask you about a book? If you read it, it this is going back uh-huh. to the beginning of the year. There was a lot of hoo-ha, which I thought was not warranted, directed toward the author. And I read it, and mm. I would put it on my top ten list for sure, American Dirt by Janine Cummins. Oh, did you, did yes. you read that? Yes. that You know, that book was, I think it sort of came out at the wrong time when there was a lot of, a lot of discussion about, you know, cultural appropriation and does she have the right to tell this story? And I think one of the problems was she was writing kind of a thriller, a mystery, a adventure, mm-hmm. you know, this woman trying to get across the border with her child and she's right. being um, chased by bandits or whatever. And I think the publisher marketed it in a way that made people think it was going to be, you know, great and profound literature. And really, I don't think that was what she had in mind. Well, I think she was just trying to tell an exciting story, you know? And Lori, but, I think that that, like, sometimes cancel culture comes around for books, and, and we know that, it but does. a yes, fiction, a novel, a, a novel from your own mind, you can write about anybody, be anything about, I mean, I'm like, who <laughs> is anybody to put in a yeah. box about you can't write about that because you weren't an immigrant who tried to get across the border? We wouldn't read anything. Well, it's a very, no, you, you raise a really good point. It's a very complicated topic. And people, you know, on the one hand feel like, hey, we're not allowed to tell our stories. No one's publishing our stories. They're only publishing the stories of white people. Therefore, the white people shouldn't be telling our stories. We should have the chance. And then, you know, other people say, I'm a fiction writer. What I do is I make stuff up and I try yeah. to imagine a multitude of lives. And so it's it's a very... Um, I, I wish that people could talk about it a little with a little less 
emotion than they can right now. I think yeah. Because it's such an, it's a very important discussion. Well, I think um, it ended up helping her sell more books. I felt bad that, it, that, you know, that she was like shamed for coming up for what was really a compelling story, a nail biter. Um, and it really, if anything, for me, it, it gave me an awareness of things that go on at the border that I had no idea that were just sort of, it was just sort of, oh, you know, but I, this brought it to life. Why do people have to escape mm-hmm. Mexico or Honduras? It brought it to me in a way that, you know, reading a, a, a newspaper story, yeah. just giving that, it didn't, I guess. So, well, and I, I, I would say that, that people who objected to her book had legitimate reasons for objecting. However, I also felt there was sexism involved because you have white writers like Don Winslow who write books that are set on the border and they've got all these, um, you know, Latino characters and Mm -hmm. and Hispanic characters and, and nobody's saying anything about that, but you know, she really got hammered. So she did. I I hope she sold a lot of books. I hope that that was her um, ultimate revenge Mm -hmm. and, you know, really, <laughs> she did. She did. It was on the bestseller list for quite some time. Um, another book I want to ask you about, uh, which would be uh, in Julie and I. We kind of talked about this before she left. You know, some of our favorite books. But uh-huh. and again, this was a book back. I think we had Kathleen on in January, but we absolutely loved it. Minor dramas and other catastrophes which was oh, uh, the fictional yes. Minneapolis suburb of Liston Heights where the parents have yeah. money and the children are ambitious and the houses have four-car garages. I mean, fabulous right, right. book. And I thought Reese Witherspoon needs to option this. That was such a compelling story. Yeah. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think she has another book coming out um, next year. Okay. Um, um, I Oh, now I have to just quickly I mean, it's, it's kind of highlighted and, you know, came out in January. So it's like textbook uh-huh. bad behavior. It was just so such Her- an interesting uh, yeah. book. I was just wondering if uh, you like that as well. Her next one coming out is uh, March, March 21. Are we there? there yet? Yeah. And that looks really yeah. good. Uh, I actually read that yeah. other cast. It was so good. Was it? Was it? So, and yeah. it was one of those things where yeah. you were, I was, you know, I'm not um, a suburb mom, but I was very invested in their drama. Right. I could totally, yeah. I think I, you know, have to tweet Reed Witherspoon again about getting on yeah, the stick. Get on I'm that. always <laughs> tweeting her, Lori, about things I think she should option. Or sometimes I, I yeah, sometimes I tweet. Very happy. Yeah, Carrie Washington. Um, Okay, can you stay with us, Lori, and so we can talk about a few more books and absolutely. um, And give us the the name again of your favorite fiction book, Sharks in the Time of Sharks in the Time of Saviors. Saviors. Thank you, Song Washburn. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, well, we're talking with um, Lori Herzl, book editor, senior book editor from the Star Tribune. We'll be right back. If you want to call in to Rocco or tweet us or email us your favorite books, you can certainly do that. We'll give them a shout out. We'll be right back. Um, Okay, so, (laughs) yeah, I know. Lori, (laughs) thank you so much um, for being the same with us. Um, Okay, um, Uh any other books that you want to, like, give, you know, like, extra plugs to or give us a you know 
book review? Well, I remember when I talked to you in May, we talked about uh, Curtis Sittenfeld's Rodham. Yes. I thought was a lot of fun. And I think we also talked then about um, Louise Erdrich's The Night Watchman, which is just a really wonderful book. About, it's a novel, um, fictionalized uh, account of, of a remarkable thing that her grandfather did. Um, saving the the Turtle Mountain tribe, but I also wanted to mention Charles Baxter's new novel, The Sun Collective. Um, he also lives in Minneapolis, and of course, he's very renowned. He just retired from the U, where he um, taught in the MFA program. And this book is set in Minneapolis, and um, it also has. I think this is kind of a a, a recurring. Um, thing that I'm seeing in, in novels that I love, and it's this, this combination of realism and kind of uh, mystical, weird things. And so his novel, set in Minneapolis, and it's about um, a commune that is trying to make a difference in um, a time when there's a president who's kind of crazy and game show host-like, and it's not Trump, but it's very similar to Trump. Mm-hmm. And and so there's this this um, collective, the Sun Collective, that's trying to do the right thing. But but the bigger it grows, the more um, kind of out of control it starts spinning. And then there's there's a whole other thread with this retired couple, um, and they're trying to find their son. And the wife has this spell at Minnehaha Falls, and when she comes to, she can talk to her dog and her cat. And I mean, it's it's. I'm not describing it very well because there's so many different threads to this novel, but it is, it's, if you live in the Twin Cities, you will recognize every single place in this book. And, um, and it's a great story too. And it's just perfect for our time because of the, the, um, parallels between what's going on in the country now and what's going on in the book, uh, rise in homelessness and this kind of crazy president <laughs> yeah it's it's very good it's very I, good. It's I think it's the sun collective it's like when i try and describe what was my and julia's favorite book of the year which was the invisible mm-hmm. life of Addie larue when you say i out, don't know that book. oh my gosh well when you say out loud it's about this woman in the 17 or 1628 you know and she's a french village girl and she has to get married at 17 and then she makes uh, she calls up the devil, basically, and, you know, it's like a Faustian pack. It's a time traveling. Mm-hmm. It's a romance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got all these things, but in the end of it all, it's just this big epic book and the way that, like, the time traveler's wife was or discovery mm-hmm. of witches or, you know, like that. It's just got a lot of elements to it but yeah i always feel like i'm not giving this justice (laughs) (laughs) well i think any novel that you can just really sink into and you don't want to put it down and it brings you to this other place um and it teaches you things i mean that's i mean novelists you know that's a hard job being a novelist i think and and you know there's so many great ones out there there have been so many great novels this year i mean mm-hmm. say what you want to about 2020 uh the books were terrific yeah i i agree with you um i also thought um the book um i mean i julia and i both love mysteries and thrillers and she's been mm-hmm. one of our favorite authors but ruth ware um uh-huh. One by yeah. one, which takes place in the Swiss Alps and has this tech angle. That was just again a terrific page turner from her. 
she she does one or two books a year, and I don't know how she keeps the quality up when she writes as often as she does. But yeah. if you like mysteries, did you read um, Moonflower Murders by Anthony Horowitz? No. Anthony Horowitz, um, he he's a British writer. He wrote the he's written quite a few series for BBC, including Midsummer Murders. You might know that one. Mm-hmm. Um, Foil's War. He wrote Foil's War, but he has written this this is the second in a series of of kind of story within a story mysteries so they're these big fat books which is fun i mean you know it's going to mm-hmm. last you a while right and you, and you start you start with this one story and then there's a manuscript you know and and then you start reading the manuscript that that one of the characters has written and that takes up like the whole middle part of the book and it's a completely different mystery and you just sort of forget about you were reading a different mystery when you started the book and now there's this huge book right in the middle of it and then it goes back to the original story and he does it really well I mean the whole thing is tied together and there's a reason why he does this it's not just you know plopping a book inside of a book but it's great fun and it makes the book like you know it's like 600 pages long and like you can read that for days yeah good I'm excited about that. Do you think, do you think Charles Baxter, uh, we've given up on getting Louise on our show. I don't (laughs) think she really does interviews. She doesn't really even need to people just, you know, we, if you're a fan of her books, you'll read everything she writes, which she's very shy. Yeah. That's what I thought. She doesn't do a lot of interviews. Yeah. How about Charles Baxter? I see no reason why he wouldn't. Um, he's, He's great. I mean, I interviewed him. I did a profile of him for the strip that ran in November, right before his novel came mm-hmm. out. And I mean, he was a delight to talk to. He was very, you know, very yeah, thoughtful a- and, and like smarter than everybody else, but not in a showy way. You know, yeah. he, was, he was very good. So and he does talk a lot. He'll, you know, he'd be happy to talk to you about any aspect of that, like why it's set in Minneapolis and why it, you know, some of the things have real names and some of them, you know, like he calls the Mall of America in the book. It's called the Utopia Mall. So okay. he changed the name of the mall, right, but he right. doesn't change the name of other places. And so I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure he would talk to you. Yeah. Okay. Tell, him I, tell him I told him. You All right. Uh, we'll <laughs> tell him. And I mean, he's a teacher, so he, yeah. he likes to talk. We know that. <laughs> Wait till summer when he's got it off. There right, you go. Right. Right. Oh, no. He's he, retired, he just retired, right? Yeah, oh, then just retired. Then of course he can get him. Time. Yeah, and I and we never could. We yeah, never totally. could get Curtis Sittenfeld. Still haven't gotten her yet. We, well, we just gave up on the publisher uh, again. That book came out, you know, in right before COVID. Right before right COVID, yeah, and there was yeah. nobody working. And then we lost. You yeah. know, then Donnie Love got laid off, and it was just like right. kind of. A, cluster but i kept reaching out out loud on twitter or the radio hoping someone would tell curtis because damn it she was our very first author we ever had on our book club for prep oh is that right yes oh, wow that that's how far ago. back we feel like we go with her so we were like and then sure. finally julia and i were like well we didn't want to talk about hillary anyway her imagined life or otherwise <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, the publicists have now, they have figured out they how have. to work from home. It was really tough in March and April and May. And, yeah. you know, and now they've got it down to a science and they're, they're all working from home too. I mean, I'm sitting here in my house talking to you and I just go down to the Star Tribune like, 
twice a month to pick up mail and mail stuff do out you to miss, my critics. And, do you miss coworkers? I know you miss, uh, you, uh, know, you have to. Yeah, I, I, I used to sit next to Rick Nelson oh, and so. my God, he would bring in the best cookies and... <laughs> I mean, I miss him because he's a great person, yeah. but he also brought in cookies. No, I'm, I do, because I work in features, and those are just all great people, you know, funny right. and creative. And, you know, you get a lot of energy talking to people in the hallway and just running into people. And, yeah. you know, 